0: Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. For the poor you always have with me, but you do not always have me. The great multitude, therefore, the Jews learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Once again, we encounter this extraordinarily ordinary family in Bethany. There's no mention of father or mother. It would be safe for us to assume that they had deceased. And what we know here is that these two sisters probably were the older siblings of Lazarus. There's no way to know for sure about that. We never hear Lazarus saying a single word in the scripture however his life in this passage if there were no other passage about him speaks volumes what made this family extraordinary was the friendship of Jesus Christ remember that Jesus is described by his adversaries as the friend of sinners they must have snarled that sentence out It was a despicable thing they saw when Jesus hung out with sinners. Now, this family probably was well-respected within their community. They would not be lumped together with those sinners that felt quite at home with Jesus. But Jesus is indiscriminate with his friendship because we are all sinners, are we not? Even the best person in this room, the person who has committed the fewest sins, is still in need, very in need, in need of a Savior. And their response to Christ's call to be disciples of him also was important to their being extraordinary. As we will see, what can we learn from these three that will ensure our being faithful and fruitful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at each one of the members of this family, and we're going to look for traits that are suggested in this passage of Scripture and elsewhere that will help us to get on board with Jesus like they did and make a lasting difference. There aren't too many people who've continued to have a difference for Christ for 20 centuries, are there? Well, these three certainly do. They have that favored position of being spoken of in Scripture. Let's begin with Mary. And what we want to see about her first, in verse 3, look at it. Mary therefore took a pound of very costly perfume of Purnard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Jesus carried one of his disciples who was intending to betray him said why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor but because he was a thief and as he had the money box he used to pilfer what was put into it. Jesus therefore said let her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Mary of Bethany was a person who was attentive. And not simply did she pay attention to Jesus, undoubtedly, she paid attention to people in general. When we first encounter her in the Gospel of Luke, the tenth chapter, in the last paragraph, we see her sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking in everything which Jesus says. She doesn't say anything, at least it's not recorded in that passage of scripture. Her sister Martha, whom we're going to talk about a little later, doesn't make the best impression on me and you probably when we read about what she did. She made a good impression in the sense that she fed Jesus and served them, cared enough about them to do that, but she had a hard time with Mary, her sisters, sitting at the feet of Jesus when there was plenty of work to be done to feed this large group who had come to experience the hospitality of the home. When Jesus heard Martha, basically scold him, and accuse her sister of being a slacker, then he says, Martha, Martha, you are bothered and worried about many things. And she, he goes on to say, you are distracted with your many serving." Many servings, plural is the word actually in the original language, and it literally means ministries. She was doing a ministry to the Lord, Jesus and his apostles, and others who were part of their entourage. But what we know is that She was wrong in her perception of Mary. Jesus said this to Martha. Martha, your sister has chosen that which will never be taken away from her. And without sounding redundant, I don't assume you didn't get it the first time, but what was she doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking in everything that Jesus said and listening carefully. And the fact that she was attentive led to other things as well. One thing it led to is that she brought this bottle, or vase, if you will, of pure nard to anoint Jesus' feet. When we put this passage together with the passage in Matthew 26, the passage in Mark chapter 14, what we are told is that she didn't just anoint the feet of Christ, but she began at his head and she anointed his whole body, as it were. So she was a person who was extravagant also. But she understood intuitively about what must have been going on in the heart and mind of Jesus. Several months prior to this experience, Jesus had told his disciples, the apostles, the inner circle of his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to suffer many things. He will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and he will be basically brutalized. He will be killed. But then he will rise again on the third day. This evidently went right over their heads because they did not sense that as they were moving forward. But someone knew it, and she was a disciple of Christ too. Now remember when we use the word disciple, we're not talking about apostles, although every apostle is, was a disciple but she was attentive to Jesus she listened to what Jesus had to say and this gave her great sympathy for the Lord Jesus Christ she cared for him how does one grow in trust in Christ well the bible tells us in Romans 10:17 faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ this dear Sister Mary, she listened attentively to the voice of Jesus. And it was not just in this moment in Luke chapter 10, but it was also in every moment. She would have hung on every word, and she probably found them going over and over again in her mind as she focused on that encounter she first had with Christ and those in between that one and this one some months later, if not over a year or so later. And we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So she was a woman who trusted in Jesus implicitly. Are you that kind of person? Are you an attentive person to Jesus? Do you find yourself wanting be to be alone with Jesus? Wanting to sit at His feet And that is a picture of someone who is in submission to Jesus. And you want to hear what he has to say. And you take it in, like a disciple is to take it in. Not simply for yourself, but that it might be used by Christ in impacting other people. As you share what you know about him. And this was true of this dear sister Mary, perhaps the second sister, the first words which come out of her mouth are found in the 11th chapter of John after her brother Lazarus had died. And when she sees Jesus, he says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There are various ways to interpret what was going on in her mind, what the tone of her voice would have been. She was grieving, of course, because she loved her brother. But I think there was a part of her statement that was a statement of faith in the best sense of the word. And that was rooted in her beginning her relationship with Christ by just listening to Him. And it continued, look, you and I have an invitation from Jesus Christ every day. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into that person and I will dine with him or her and she or he will dine with me. Can you imagine Jesus reserving a table for two for you to meet with him? And we need to understand this is the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Christ to be a follower of Christ. It's to be with him, to hear from him, and to become men and women of faith, which issues in sympathy. But also, the third characteristic that we see about this dear lady, we've already considered it as we read the verses before, she was extravagantly giving. We need to pause a moment and reflect on what Judas said when he said this vial of perfume, pure nard, meaning it was not cut in any way, it was pure nard, this is worth a lot of money, 300 denarii. Now permit me just a moment to do some analysis of that number, 300, modifying the word denarii. A denarius was the equivalent of one day's work for a laborer in Israel. When you begin to do the math and calculate it, that there was a pound of this pure nard in the vial, and that would be the Roman pound, which would be the equivalent of 11 ounces in our way of weighing things. And you begin to multiply it out 300 days. Let's just say eight hours a day, 300 days. That would be the days of a year because Sabbath was not worked on. And then there would be some other high holy days that people could not work, amounting to about 360 to 70 days. And so we see this. And then we apply the minimum wage of the government of America today, the stated law, 725. That's going up very soon, I'm pretty sure. But for the sake of illustration, what we discover is that that bottle of Purnard that was broken and poured over Jesus, that bottle would be worth $1,580 per ounce today. Ladies, has anyone ever given you one ounce of perfume that didn't cost more than about $25 twenty-five or thirty dollars. Maybe not, but this is amazing, isn't it? I wondered what the most expensive perfumes are in our day and time. And I found one which sells for six hundred seven excuse me, seven hundred and sixty-five dollars. It's under the label of Jar, J-R-A-R, which are the initials of the creator of that perfume. Seven hundred sixty-five dollars an ounce. That's expensive, isn't it? And then another one, under the label of the Hermes, and the name of it is Twenty Four Faubourg. It's a French perfume. That's the address of the flagship jar store in the system of that company. And fifteen hundred dollars an ounce, similar to the value of this. That's still big money, isn't it? A lot of money. And then, I'm not going to tell you what the most expensive is. It's ridiculous, but this is all ridiculous to me, to be honest with you. There is another kind of brand. It's Clive Christian Number no. 1 Imperial Majesty. And for one ounce of that liquid perfume, $12,722. Now, they throw a few little diamonds in on the container, of course, but still, that's amazing. But when we think of the great extravagance, we don't know if she had gone out and bought that. It could have been an heirloom. Maybe her mother had passed it down. It may have been a gift from her father and mother to her at some point. We don't know how she got it, but we know how she gave it, don't we? She gave it completely to the Lord. It's incredible. And it is true that a person who knows Jesus like Mary came to know Him because she spent time with Him, listening to Him, and not simply internalizing it, but demonstrating it undoubtedly in the lives of those who came into her sphere. She was a woman worth not just merely admiring, but imitating, I would say. Some of you are familiar with the name Isaac Dennison. This authorist from Denmark, wrote Out of Africa. It was made into a movie, but there was another movie. A screenplay was made from her book called Babette's Feast. It actually, in 1988, won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. It's the story about a sect of very conservative, quite frankly legalistic, somewhat pharisaical Christians on the coast of Denmark. As the story goes, this sect was very small. The pastor of the group was widowed. His two daughters, who were rapidly aging beyond the age of eligibility, one was rather frumpy in her appearance, the other was quite attractive. And what we know about them is they remain single throughout the entire era of the movie, which covers 14 years. Their father passes away, and there's a woman named Babette who comes to take refuge in their village because it's obscure, news doesn't get there. She ran away from Paris, and the mystery about her was unfolded to a certain degree later in the film, and in the book of course, and the mystery was that she had been a chef of one of the most premier of all the restaurants in Paris. But she had run away to escape something, and she offered her services for room and board in that home. She was an elegant woman, and she was a tremendous chef. She fed them Wonderfully. Well, there came a time after she had been there for 14 years that she won the lottery. And everyone wondered what she would do. Would she go back to Paris? Would she leave this village because it was so obscure? It had nothing to do with anything that she had been used to most of her life. But what happened? in in what is depicted in the movie is she took all the proceeds from that winning of the lottery and she began to order from faraway places foods and she began to buy fine china and crystal and silverware that was solid silver all in anticipation of doing a meal for all the characters had been who had been in the movie, all the members of the church, and they were people who were stodgy and really not attractive at all. And then there were people who were irreligious people, if you will, outside the context that came in and out of the lives of these two daughters whose father had died in and out of the village. And when the time came... She put this spread out on the table, and they were astonished. The food that they normally ate, to deny themselves the pleasures of the world, were typically bland and didn't cost much. They wouldn't eat anything that was not grown or bought when the freshness was about to expire on the food. And then it's a beautiful picture of the transformation which occurred in these women's lives and the other people present. There were men as well. And the thing that is communicated is that God loves us. And when he loves us like he loved Mary uh, Bethany, and she received that love in a healthy, wholesome way, then it impacts other people. We are recipients of the grace of God. And just like Isaac Dennison depicts Babette, in the movie Babette's Feast, based on the book with the same title, we are people who can be agents of that grace, and we are designed for that, to minister to other people. One more thing before I forget. When we look at this lady, Mary, what she does, she she spreads the perfume on the feet of Jesus. What does she do? She takes her hair. Now, it was improper for a Jewish woman to let her hair down in public. But she does it, and she washes the feet of Christ. In this passage of Scripture, if you'll look for a moment at verse 2, we see, so they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. And the word serving means not just a moment, but quite a often throughout the entire event she was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. It's conceivable, if not probable, that Mary probably joined her sister along with others to feed the people who were there. Now, we might think, just reading this passage of Scripture, that this happened in the home of the three that we're looking at this morning, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus but not so actually it was in the home of Simon the leper now he would not be leprous at the moment or he would not be one anyone would want to be around for fear they might catch the illness or by association with him would not be allowed to go to synagogue or go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts of the Jewish nation so he'd been healed I wonder how he got healed Who do you think may have healed him? Well, I think Jesus healed him. That's a good deduction I think we can make. But what we know is that if she did, in fact, join those who were serving, there was a large number evidently, and for good reason, because people heard Jesus was there, but they heard Lazarus was there too. He was going to be part of the party, and they wanted to see this man who was raised from the dead and see the man who raised him from the dead. But when she would walk around, if she would walk around serving, don't you know she took the fragrance with her wherever she was? Because it was a beautiful fragrance. And what we see here is a foreshadowing of what Paul writes about in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he speaks about How he and his companions were an aroma or a fragrance of Christ. We are to be such people. And when we are such people, our lives will be contagious. They'll be off putting in a way because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul talks about he and his companions being an aroma of Christ, to some, the aroma of death, he said. Those who don't know Christ and don't want to have anything with Christ, an aroma of death. But to others, it's just a fragrance, is the aroma of life. Are you that kind of person? Do you know Jesus? If you do, you have every possibility of being like Mary. The point is, we have to spend time at the feet of Christ, listening to Him. And He is accessible to us. He wants our companionship. Imagine that. He wants us to be with Him. And He wants to alter that part of us that is selfish and add to us his life as he comes to dwell within us. Let's look at Martha. It won't take as long with Martha. Let's look at verse 2. What are her traits? So they made him a supper there and Martha was serving. I'm going to give you four traits of hers that I see. There perhaps are many more. I encourage you to do your own meditating on the lives of all of these characters. Look at Luke chapter 10. Look at John chapter 11. And this chapter... Well, here's one thing I see about her. She was teachable. Why do I see she was teachable? Here's why. She was pretty torqued in Luke's account. She was rude to Jesus, frankly, in the way she spoke to him. But here there's no hint of that at all. I sense, and I don't think I'm just using my sanctified imagination here. I believe you can sense it that she was at peace with her role and she was accepting of her sister's role in that setting. And so we see her being teachable. It is true of every one who is used by Christ that she or he is a teachable person. Some of you are teachers in public schools, virtually all the women present today are teachers of your children. I've often said that my mother, I mentioned it last week or a couple weeks ago, whenever Mother's Day was, I mentioned it in the talk that I gave that day, that my mother, as I reflect on her life, she was my best teacher. Parents teach, not just mothers, but... Fathers are to be teachers too. You can't escape that, can you men? When you read the scripture, especially the orders that are given in the 6th chapter of Deuteronomy, the 4th chapter of Deuteronomy, we're to be teachers of our children. But we need to be able to make adjustments. This is what I mean by teachable. She changed because she adjusted her life to Christ And she began to see Him as He really is. And she yielded to Him. And when we yield to Christ, we change. It's the essence of being a follower of Christ as we've already seen to trust Him, which means we submit to Him, and we have to draw near to Him, and we listen to Him, and we change in direct proportion to the amount of time we spend with Him and then a willful choice to change where he shows us and teaches us we need to be changed. She was a practical person. And some of you are very practical, and some of you are kind of like me. I'm not all that practical, really. I mean, I I think I am. I pay my bills on time and stuff like that. But I dream a lot in my mind. I think about stuff. Even at this age, I'm still dreaming. It's amazing that I still can at this age do anything with my mind sometimes. But practical. The Christian faith is practical. What's she doing here? She's serving the guests. She's serving Jesus, the apostles, and the guests. She's not only practical and teachable, she's very direct too. She was rude in our first encounter with her in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. But there's no hint of that. Isn't it nice to have someone who speaks the truth to you in love, right? The Word of God says, speak the truth. Some people use the truth like a sledgehammer, don't they? But others speak the truth and couch it in love. We're to combine those things and When she really got right with God through Christ, the result was she was able to take what undoubtedly was built into her DNA temperament by the Lord to be direct. She was practical, she was teachable, and she was direct, and she was serving, of course. And she loved to serve Jesus. She was a great lady. If we were to go back to Luke chapter 10, what we would discover is that when Jesus says, your many servings, it's the word that's used for deacon in the New Testament language. So we see this in her. She was a servant. Jesus himself describes himself in this way. He says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom many. Jesus' service was of the utmost kind, but quite frankly, we who know Christ are called upon to die to ourselves regularly and see those in the body of Christ as people whom we are called to serve. And we're to serve them, according to the book of Galatians 5.13, don't use our freedom as an excuse for not doing what the Lord says, but harness that with Christ. Take his yoke upon you, and the result will be you will be gentle and humble in heart like he is, and you will be able to love others in that way. Martha. Mary and Martha, admirable, worth imitating in these characteristics. Now let's finish our time together with Lazarus. And let's go to verse 2. The last part, I'll just begin in the middle. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. The trait that I want to deal with at some length here about him is he was irresistibly attractive. And not because of the way he looked. We have no description of their physical appearances, these three. But what we do know is he would have been an irresistible attraction for at least two reasons. First of all, he had been dead and now he was alive. Let's look at verse 9. The great multitude therefore of the Jews learned that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only but they that they might also see Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. They had never seen anyone who had been raised from the dead. There is only a handful of people in the Bible who are said to have died and been raised from the dead. All those people, with the exception of Jesus, died again. We know two men, Enoch and Elijah the prophet, they were taken into heaven. They did not die. I think they will die someday because the Bible says, "...as it is appointed unto man once to die." And there are two prophets who are referred to, unnamed, by John in the book of Revelation, who die. Most scholars think it's Elijah and Moses. Well, Moses died. We have clear evidence of that in the writings of the Pentateuch or the Torah. And it's reiterated in the New Testament book of Jude as well. But what we do know is these men died. We'll have to wait and see about the identity. but. We know that when someone dies and comes alive again, that is attractive, isn't it? Now the question is, what does that have to do with us? If we want to make an impact, we need to be attractive. And I don't mean that in any way except spiritual, okay? You and I should take care of the bodies we have and the things we have in such a way that we would not detract from the person of Christ, but people would see something in us and that something is a someone. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, and He is in us and His life will manifest itself through us as we yield our lives to Him. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, you should read Ephesians 2, one through about ten, if you're not familiar with them in your head, read those and see how the description of the Ephesian believers is the description of each of us. As for you, you and I were dead in our trespasses and sin. And then the grace of God came to bear on our lives through the work of Christ and by faith you have been by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. We have been raised from the dead. Are you aware of that? We were dead spiritually when we were born the first time. And were it not for the grace of Christ and His work on our behalf and the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to life, we would be dead today. And dead, folks, can only get worse and decompose. But the good news is this man had died and he was raised to new life. The other thing we saw over in verse 2 is that and it's easy to miss these things. In verse 2 it says, He was declining among others, reclining, not declining, reclining at the table with Him, with Jesus. How important is that? Well, when Mark describes Jesus choosing the apostles out of a scores of really disciples, to be apostles. They were disciples first and they became apostles. The Bible says he prayed all night and then he chose them and he chose them for three reasons and he did them in order of priority, I'm sure. The first of which is that he might be with them. How important is that? Be with him. Sounded like a broken record to a degree at this point. But let's think about this. Being with Christ changes people in the sense that He influences them by His very presence. Two of those apostles, Peter and John, were arrested. The story is told. They were arrested in the fourth chapter of Acts because they were preaching Christ. And people were listening. People were coming to faith. And then what does... The Bible say in Acts 4.13, it really was the assessment of the members of the Sanhedrin, the governing body of the internal affairs of Israel, these powerful people. And they dismissed those two apostles for a little while when they put their heads together and said, what are we going to do with these men? And then someone made note of the fact, he said, these are uneducated, untrained Men, And they could have said fishermen because the two of them were fishermen. But they noted that they had been with Jesus. What changes my life? What changes your life? It's when we are with Jesus. And not for an hour and a half like this. This is part of our lives. It's a great part from my perspective, not because I'm the teacher, but because I love to be with the people of God. Because I know when we are here, the critical mass of Christ, in a sense, grows, doesn't it? Because we're a gathering primarily of people who know Christ. Not everyone here knows Jesus, but probably the majority of us certainly know Him, and are growing in Him, we hope. But when we're with Jesus, we change. And we are to be with Him all the time. The Bible says we're to pray without ceasing. Through whom do we pray? We pray in the name of Jesus, don't we? We have to pray through Him. So if I'm to pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean that I'm on my knees all the time. That would be okay if that's what God wanted for me. But I go about doing the work that I have to do here as a pastor of the church. And I can be with Christ. When I'm in an administrative meeting, when I'm in a prayer meeting, when I'm in this setting, I can be with Jesus. I can be with Him. He wants my company. Believe it or not, He wants your company. And so, people who are with Christ actually are attractive people because they have the aroma of Christ. And they are loving in the way they treat people doesn't mean they don't correct people from time to time in the book of proverbs going back to martha for a moment direct the book of proverbs says faithful are the wounds of a friend but profuse are the kisses of an enemy a real brother or sister in christ will not shy away from lovingly correcting us when we need to be corrected and. If you have forgotten, let me remind you that in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says about the Bible, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Do you want to grow? Well, come to the Word. And listen to people whom you know who know the Lord. And you have some assurance that they care about you too. And you might ask them if you're daring enough, Lord, would you speak to me through him or her? Irresistible attraction. Here's another thing. He was a threat, I'm talking about Lazarus now, to the unbelievers. Now let's take a look. In verse 10, but the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death. Why was he such a threat? Well, he's exhibit A of Christ being the resurrection and the life, wasn't he? And people were coming to see him. And as long as he was alive, that was a threat to their power. Man, religious power is a worst kind of power. I'm using the word religious advisedly. I'm not talking about about spiritual power. It's the best kind. But religious power is deadening. It is threatening. And it will do whatever it can to preserve its power. And that is certainly what the Sadducees were about. And many of the Pharisees were. We never read of a Sadducee who comes to Christ. But there are some... Pharisees, Nicodemus probably was one of those people. Joseph of Arimathea was probably one of those people. But what we do know is that when we are committed to keep the status quo, and I used that Latin saying last night, and a lady came up to me. I, I was glad she did. She says, what is the status quo? And I said, well, I don't know. No, I didn't say that to (laughs) him. But I explained it. It's just making sure we don't deviate from tradition when tradition will contradict the truth of God's Word. Now, the Bible does advocate tradition in certain ways, and the Scripture, Paul himself does in the Scripture. But Jesus said about his gospel. What did he say? He said, this message is like putting new wine into old wineskins because it ferments and it bubbles up and it causes expansion and an old brittle wineskin is going to burst and the new wine will be lost. So this is why Christ was not accepted. He was a threat to the people. Their system and the leaders of the Jews did not want to let go of the control they had on that system. Politically, it was going to cost them. Monetarily, it was going to cost the Sadducees for sure. And then theologically, the Sadducees, you know why they're sad, you see? It's because they did not believe in the miraculous. They did not believe in afterlife. They believed that once this life was over, it's over. They were atheists who were religious. Those two words don't even go together, in my mind, where you put your faith. But they saw this man, Lazarus, as a rebuke to them because... He's alive. All the evidence is that he died. He was dead for four days. They've had a lot of testimony about that from people who weren't nuts. And so, yeah, we've got to get rid of this guy because he's going to be a pain and he's going to threaten us. And here's the last thing that was true of Lazarus. Look at 11. 11. He was a blessing to many, because on account of Him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. He was a blessing, wasn't He? Are you a blessing? Jesus saved you to be a blessing. He saved me to be a blessing. Now I admit there are many times I'm not a blessing. And I have a higher profile than most people who are Christians. So I have an opportunity to act like I want to be a blessing sometimes. But we all are made in Christ to be a blessing. I hope you know that. The church is made up of people who know Christ and who are indwell by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives each one of us at least one spiritual gift. And we're designed to minister to one another in the name of Christ. What a joy it is to be a follower of Jesus, isn't it? Incredible. A blessing. Lazarus was attractive because he was alive again. And he had been with Christ, just like we saw in the case of these other two siblings. He was a threat to the unbeliever. And a blessing. I want to finish by going back to the story that we read from Mark about this widow, little widow. She comes in the midst of a lot of people coming to give offering at the temple, and the offering receptacles were in the shape of horns, not like an animal's horns, but instruments of music, and they had a wide opening, and the wealthy people would hire a band to precede them, to draw attention to them, and, so, and they would divide their offering into as many coins as they could, and they would throw them hard down the chute to make a noise. Jesus had some choice words for that kind of giving, certainly. And then Jesus is sitting there. He's watching everyone who's giving an offering in that particular situation. And then he sees this widow. She probably was lost in the crowd. And she comes, and she has two small coins. Leptas is what they were called. And the value of a lepta was 1 64th of a denarius. One sixty-fourth of a day's labor wage. That's all she had left. And she gave it all. And he said, she gave more than all of those whom I have observed today. Why? Because she gave everything she had. Do you think the Lord took care of her? I have every confidence he did. And she is recorded in Scripture. She's unnamed. That's by design, too. And she didn't even care whether anyone knew about her. But the Lord knew about her. And He loved her. And He saw her wholehearted devotion. I'll never forget the story that was told to me about a poor boy. There was a missions conference being held in the church that he attended. He came from the near neighborhood of the church building itself. It was an inner city church, but a first church, first Baptist church perhaps, or first Presbyterian church, first Methodist church, some sort of first church. And he came along. He listened intently to the missionaries who spoke about the need for more missionaries on the field. And as the time came for an offering to be made, He had no money. He became nervous. He hadn't even thought about an offering. He got nervous. He wondered what he would do. His palms got sweaty and the people around him noticed that he was nervous. He was very anxious. And then about three people from him, he had an idea. When he received the plate, he put it on the floor and then he stepped in it himself. He was stating, I'm giving myself. And that's what the widow who gave the two mites did. That's what Mary of Bethany did. That's the essence of the Christian life. Giving your all. The I surrender all hymn we have sung before. All to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. That's the bottom line of being a disciple of Christ and then trust Him to use you to bring glory to Himself. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the day. the day you've made. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship you. Thank you for the way you've led us to worship you through song, and through giving, and through the Word of God. Please, Lord, take that which is intended by You and put it deep in our hearts and motivate me, Lord, to practice what I preach here today for sure. Help us all to have a renewed commitment to spend time with You, unhurried time, seeking Your face, Lord, not Your hand, and being willing to submit to You In every way, we know how to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.